0: Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 188 with Melissa Yennevine, Shadow Dancer, Wanderer, Mystic, Psychonaut, Blogger, Solstice Baby. Join the team as we explore connections, journeys, and experiences in this. Thing like called life. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, guys.
2: Most definitely, Melissa. Uh, so something that we do on the podcast, like I was saying in the green room, is um, correlate it to a major arcana card. That's what I do. Raphael kind of changes it up. He's read angel cards and tarot cards and galactic heritage cards. He's, uh, so this is one eighty-eight, which reduces down to eight again. So it's actually the strength card. I face my fears with the strength of love and patience. This is about trusting yourself, letting your inner endurance shine, using your power to embrace the amazing person within you, and you have everything within you to succeed. Raphael, what is the angel card?
0: So we just started reading the angel cards, Melissa, before we did the Galactic Heritage cards. So this is now the second angel from the 72 names of God, in this case taken from the Angel Manual by Brian Law, the Wizard of Odd. So this is the angel Yei Leil, the angel of love and wisdom. How could it be any different? This angel is invoked to quell popular uprisings, to succeed against those who attack us in court, and to restore martial bliss, bringing peace between spouses. This angel has power over employers and employees, helping to maintain harmony. Influence. Those born under this influence like to do everything quickly and when children do not have the patience to listen to teachers because it seems that the information already is in their head. They have intuition since childhood for what is right or wrong. At heart, they believe that they are not on Earth by chance and know that their family is a karmic choice, so they feel certain obligations to help them. Extremely loving, they celebrate the universal truth and brotherly love. Their emotions are so strong that they are experienced jointly by the angel. They will never allow themselves to be negatively influenced and have the sobriety to dominate any situations. They are bringers of peace where there is conflict, defending the truth and hate violence. He or she loves animals, flowers, forests, and all of nature. They probably have a name or surname of some Catholic saint for spiritual protection. They are people considered magical because of their good humor With which they always manage to get away with solving various situations. They are vain and like to embellish, accessorize, to use expensive perfumes, and walk fashionably. Professionally, they can shine as a director, poet, or working with aesthetics. They will find angelic world through love. This guardian angel shall, in their day to day life, give them the ability to speak and write. And the affirmation goes. Quite similar to what you mentioned, Jim, I will face my fear of the unknown with courage and faith and wait for the solution to
2: grow. So I'm, oh, go ahead, Melissa, I was going to say, does any of that resonate? Between it's the, uh, really
1: yeah. interesting because that really kind of defines the book that I wrote.
2: <laughs> well, shit. Uh, okay, so, okay, yeah, I forgot you wrote a book. Uh Rafa mentioned that, so I'm like, all right, cool, we're going to talk about that. Don't let me forget that. So um i'm still getting my head around i bought this deck recently and i haven't been messing with it much but i'm used to galactic which and like andromeda is saying this and so i'm getting my head around angels now it's like okay okay it's different um and we're just kind of jumping in with it so i'm getting used to that so new for both of us on that front um melissa go ahead and i guess expound a little upon how it might resonate at that level but i want to kind of get a biopic about you at some level because i have no clue, clue, clue who you are and uh, rafa knows you but anyway. Um, yeah, tell us why it resonated, and we'll pick up back on it later. But go ahead and finish your thought on that, front.
1: Oh, well, it's just interesting about, you know, trusting, um, being fearless and trusting that, that your intuition that things are going to come to you as they should. And that's just kind of how I felt about it. The, the book is a lot about that. It's a lot about um, – surrendering to the will of you know your intuition and and just kind of following that and i think that's and not having the having fear in um kind of sharing that story so that's <laughs> yeah
2: and it's funny i'm just looking at your natal chart your astrology chart right now and um you are a cancer with a capricorn moon but you have sun conjunct mercury and jupiter in the 5th house cancer so you have a cancer stellium uh and that fifth house is ruled by Leo, which is the strength card. So you you naturally are very probably intuitive, obviously, but also very strong, loud and proud, uh fiery, uh tenacious, that kind of stuff, not just kind of like I mean you might get moody and eat a pint of ice cream or whatever, but at some level uh you're more than just an emotional cancer, so it's all good on that front. So, uh I mean first things first, like I know that you met up with Raphael on the flush at one point. Um, maybe start there. How did you How did you get into Raphael's reality tunnel?
1: Yeah, that's actually a really interesting story. Um, We were in San Francisco at a nightclub called 1050, I believe. And it was on Devil's Night. It was the night before Halloween. And it was a costume party. It was very loud and very active and a bit overwhelming. And I'm not sure how we met. He just kind of appeared next to me. And I was like, "Who's this mischievous little creature here?" <laughs> like, and he had this um a vortex water bottle thing, and he just I don't know. something about his energy just resonated. And we were just kind of hanging out. And then I got a little bit overwhelmed with the noise and the and the lights and the just the the kind of action there. And I found myself wandering into this room, and it was lined with these little round, Uh, Seats, these little round red seats. And I sat down on one of them and just had to go into meditation because I was just, it was just a little bit too much for me. And when I'm not sure how long I was in that, maybe half an hour. But when I opened my eyes, he was sitting next to me meditating. And we were like the only two people in this entire nightclub of a couple hundred, few hundred people probably meditating in the noise. And yeah, I instantly was like, "Wow, I I like this guy. Who are you?" <laughs> That's how we met.
2: So Raphael, what do you recollect of that evening? Might I ask? It's actually great <laughs> that you mentioned
0: this, Melissa, because I totally can't remember meditating there. Um, all I know it's uh, it was you know very special night. Let's say, as you can may well imagine, Halloween altered state of consciousness uh, for several reasons simultaneously, and certainly very heavy energy. All I know is I was just looking around and I think even at, at the beginning, uh, I was like, I want to get some water or something. And they, w- they were saying me something like they can't give me water or something like really strange or about the glasses or something. And I think I got some water eventually, but I just, you know, everyone drinking like crazy and it was a selection party. So, and that's the other thing, because for the whole month, or let's say, years, about two years or something before I I got there, I really got into Soul Action. This is like an LA-based label. And to make a story short, they have all kinds of interesting samples. Maybe I had mentioned this once, actually. For example, this uh, in Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, for example, you have this small fairy, Navi. And she says like, hey, listen, watch out, whatever. She's like your higher self-guide. And so I'm listening to this music where they have these strange like video game samples and mixed up, you know, hip-hop, future soul, something. And I'm walking around, and not just that, I think, almost the first day I arrived there, I met a girl, and she was totally into that music, and you can imagine with that we connected, but also that I walked around and actually saw graffiti on the floor, which was like Zelda-themed, and like a fairy, and it said, hey, listen, you know? So it was like on the floor, right? So anyways, the whole point was that um, I really liked that label, and I wasn't aware of any party or anything going on. But, you know, as synchronicity will have it, two days before knowing that I would leave, I see that this party is happening. So I'm like, okay, whatever happens, I just have to go there. And who knows, maybe certainly partially the reason was uh, to meet up with uh, Melissa. Um, Yeah, and the energy was really heavy. So I was just kind of looking around and like, okay, where do I have a safe space even just to put my backpack or something? And everyone was dressed up because it's Halloween. And, uh, Everyone also thought I was dressed up, which I wasn't, you know, I just started wearing, you know, clothes like that to, you know, fit in with the overall frequency of myself. And then I just saw her, I think, standing, I guess, with her brother and his girlfriend, I assume, or wife, and... um and I was just like, you know, this in terms of frequency, when you look around, it just looked like, you know, calmer than everything else. And also, I'm pretty sure, Melissa, you were in a sense in a costume, but not really. You were wearing like Goa-type clothes. And maybe this was just like ringing some bells. I mean, I was like, hmm, this looks good. And then looking at her, you know, you can somewhat read an aura or have some empathy. And I was like, oh, let's, let's try this. And I was just, I think, approaching them and was like, can I put my backpack there or something? And pretty immediately, I think she was hugging me or something like this. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, a real, like, safe space, you know, in my definition.
2: And that's what's up. Uh, Yeah, Raphael hasn't done a whole lot of America, but he's been to San Francisco. I've been there once for a week. Um, I was staying in Sausalito, but I got to check out Haydn, Ashbury, and stuff. And... That's like the most magical city. I don't know if it's still doing, I, it was probably better in the nineties or something, you know, uh, I have a feeling like it's kind of, I got a lot of homelessness and COVID's like crazy there right now, but, uh, beautiful city. So I'm looking at your chart. You were born in Falls church, Virginia. I used to grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I actually went to Falls church for a Mike Gordon and Benevento duo, uh, Russell duo, uh, concert like in 2000 or something shit back in high school. Um, 2004, maybe, but, uh, kind of give me let's just start from the beginning like where did you grow up melissa like what kind of culture were you a part of how did you start individuating how are you finding yourself in belgium now as long-winded or as short-winded as you want uh and we'll get into things like your book and stuff obviously at some point
1: oh yeah um where did i grow up well i was only in virginia for a year of my life you just popped
2: and- out it's like uh oh, later <laughs>
1: And and yeah and we my family was military so we traveled a lot we moved over to England and Germany and did some state hopping I think we lived in a different place every year of my life until I was about 9 years old and a different state or a different country. And yeah, when I was nine, we moved to Florida and I stayed there until I was 15. And then when I was 15, I left my parents' home and decided to start wandering on my own. And the rest is kind of history. I've lived in, I don't know, eight states. And then I started in 2012, I started backpacking and I haven't really stopped. <laughs> I haven't had a a home. It's per se uh, since 2012 and I've just been traveling the world since then solo and well not completely solo you know you meet people along the way but um, following my intuition and and meeting lots of interesting shamans and healers and working on some cool projects and just you know COVID kind of stopped all of that and uh, yeah and then I started writing about that that journey and I'm in Belgium and I'm leaving actually in nine days. I'm going back to the States and I'm going to go spend the winter in Florida where it's warm <laughs> and uh, life. Yeah. I'm not, you know, being spending a lot, a decade in California kind of made my skin thin and I just don't do well in winters. I never really have. I, I'm not really equipped for that. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to go back to the beach and spend the winter with my family and just work on this project yeah,
2: yeah. it's crazy because uh i'm in colorado right now um and i lived in hawaii for two years and i totally understood like it ruined me i was like oh like when 65 <laughs> is cold or something like that it's like oh god damn because now it's like this morning i woke up it was minus 11 celsius and i'm just like oh my um it sounds i was looking at your chart you have a 12th house can uh capricorn moon so i mean you kind of emotionally feel in tune with the world if you want to put it that way like you can kind of go anywhere and be good yeah Uh, it seems like intuition is a big deal for you probably no matter how you cut it
1: yeah it really has been and i think that's what my journey actually started when i was eight years old and i started to question my father my father was in the air force and i started to question him about his work and about war and about like i could just kind of instinctually feel that it was wrong and needless to say that my response wasn't very good you know it was kind of like do as I say, not as I do. You just don't understand. You're a child. And I'm like, but I can feel it. Like I can feel that this is wrong. I don't I don't need to understand it in your terms. I can feel it. And so that kind of started, the, you know, my pursuit of wanting to know more on deeper levels because I could just feel that what was being portrayed on the surface was not accurate.
2: Well, you have, um, I'm just going to reference your chart all the time. Hopefully you don't mind. Uh, just briefly, Jim. You- okay, go for
0: it. Before you continue on, maybe Melissa, you may want to briefly mention just so that people can you know, it's never really possible to feel someone else's subjective experience as they did. I guess that's why we fractalized ourselves. Um, but still that people can somewhat relate a bit more to how magical it was in my synchronicity, because I remember the one thing you mentioned that I remember specifically is you talked about the way showers. And you know it's not about I think way showers, I'm maybe messing this up now. Do you remember, Melissa, what you spoke about?
1: the way shores i'm not sure
0: what you're either that or pathfinders or something along those lines it, it referenced the video basically oh, like it's simple see, you the know, oh, ears. Ears. oh thank yes. you yes right so um maybe you want to talk about this briefly and uh, just mentioning that to me like not about being something new or anything but just like then just getting the you know backside confirmation that like yeah we're totally on the same page uh, maybe you want to mention about this briefly
1: yeah, the wayseers. It's uh, hmm. well, it's just a tribe of people who are can also feel things. You know that that understand that maybe the stories and the propaganda that's that's kind of out in the world isn't necessarily true, and it conflicts with the inner emotion. And so you know we're being sold things, and but it can you know like we're being bombarded with this information and these. These things and but they don't resonate, you know, but it's but it's repeated over and over again. And I think that wayseers, people who are kind of like the torchbearers, like like yourself, Raphael, um, you know, just to have a, a different operate on a different level and can kind of see through that veil and are more um connected to their intuitive self and saying, "Mm, you know, I hear you, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel appropriate to me. And maybe I need to look a little closer at that or feel a little bit deeper into that. And so, yeah, I like, I like to meet (laughs) seers.
2: Is this like a Facebook official group or is this just like a click of people from hostels or how does that work?
1: Um, Well, Wayseers, the, the term comes from a video called The Wayseer Manifesto, and I just like the word. Uh, and it's just essentially describes a group of individuals, misfit, rule breakers, misfits, people who don't conform to the status quo of what is expected, you know, in consumerism and 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 behavior and you know, um, ways of living and things like that. It's just uh this group of people, and I mean they're all over the place, they have their their groups everywhere. The Wayfeer, Manifesto or it was just one particular uh, tribe and of of people who just kind of don't conform and they just like, I can kind of see through the bullshit <laughs> for bad, lack of a better word.
2: No, totally makes sense. Very team hole vibes, kind of like Burning Man-esque at, at an extreme possibly or just hackers or whatever, social kind of uh, Uranian, Age of Aquarius people. I mean, we're here for this. We came here for these times to flip the table. I was going to say a minute ago, oh, go ahead. that's
1: that's really interesting you say the age of the Aquarius the the journey the real journey started for me on December 21st 2012 and I was actually in Palenque uh, Mexico at the temples when for the end of the Mayan calendar the end of the world celebration as some would say and there was this crazy flash flood right at midnight like on the dot at midnight that flooded everything It only lasted like 15 minutes the torrential downpour but it left this crazy it turned this like gentle Little river that went through the camp of four thousand people into this insane tsunami that just took hundreds of people's tents and things and washed it all away. And it was like this, this really like this feeling of kind of cleansing. It's just this downpour of water. I just thought I was like, how appropriate moving into Aquarius right at midnight at the end of the calendar. There's this flash flood at the temples in Palenque. I thought that was really interesting.
2: That sounds pretty sketchy but fun, good memory, glad he didn't get hurt. Um, December 21st is my mom's birthday so – and I, I don't know enough about it but I mean between Terence McKenna and um, Time Wave Zero and the I Ching kind of thing and Nostradamus and the Mayans obviously, um, 2012 was a, I think kind of a speed bump or something um, but I'm – and I don't know how much you – know, as a waysier or, or whatever. Um, Like the media has people hyped up to the degree now where it's like, oh, some things were a little off and it's actually this December. Um, But like that's kind of the end. We'll see. Uh, It feels more kind of (laughs) ominous or whatever right now given the astrology.
1: Yeah, and that's also what's really interesting because the the beginning of my journey started on December 21st, 2012, and it's kind of – Closing on December 21st, 2020. It's like this full circle. Uh, It just, it it seems very um, auspicious. I don't know.
2: Own it, own it. Uh, You have uh, North Node, which is kind of your karmic destiny or whatever, if you want to put it that way. And Pluto, which is about death and transformation in your eighth house, which is Scorpio flavored Libra. So it doesn't surprise me that you were kind of questioning fairness, essentially, and maybe bringing the military industrial complex model up uh with your dad um and stuff like that like you're going to be going through a lot of transformations through relationships Raphael is a libra so it doesn't surprise me you're kind of probably in a weird way a homing beacon for him at that rave or whatever um because you have this very intense shaman energy i guess you could say um in libra anyway so it's like like it doesn't surprise me you guys linked up at that level uh i don't want to read you know back into the story too much but i'm like all right there's fingerprints all over this crime scene i kind of see why it is that way maybe potentially um so
0: jim the astrological detective it's great
2: oh i'm a gemini i'm a double gemini uh 11th house which might be greek to you You're like what the fuck is he talking about but um no this stuff gets me off in a real way it's like crazy it's like seeing the inner machinations of reality but it's it's logical to a degree As opposed to just being like, because I'm not against like, oh, I followed my higher self or my intuition or, you know, I heard my spirits tell me this or that my DNA is aching to go here or whatever. That stuff's just as real. But it's nice to kind of um, be able to reference something more concrete, which I'm sure you might relate to a little just having a Capricorn moon. Um, You probably have a really good bullshit detector.
0: Well, let's first see what she says, Melissa. I'm pretty sure she's into astrology now.
1: I am into astrology, but not to the level that you two are. Um, I'm learning quite a bit <laughs> in this session. Um, and I thanks for that. Uh, yeah, I, t- keep teaching me.
2: Well, you should hit me up for a reading, uh, not to self-promote here. I was like, dude, uh, I just gave Stacey DeMarco. She was on the podcast the other day. Um, she's got like 10 or 20 um, Oracle decks and all sorts of crazy shit. She's this international kind of – Mystic person, or whatever. Uh, and that was four hours. That was crazy. But anyway, um, I could do a little. I mean, I'm just looking at a chart. Like I said, I pulled it up um, and I'm kind of seeing what's relevant. And I'll keep looking at it. It's on my other phone, which is now asleep. And my hand is on this walkie talkie function on this one. So derp. Um, but while I kind of, yeah, I know, right? Rafa's like, why are you not on a computer? Uh, yeah, I've got all these like old ass phones that I've just bought a thousand dollar computer. I'm like, why am I not using this computer? I'm just like, not using it. I don't know why. But um, all right. So, I I was looking at your website and it's maybe I'm tripping, but were you in the air force? No,
1: I was not in the air force. My father was in the air force. I was an air force brat, brat, as as
2: they they call us. And very quickly scanning, I saw the word air force. so I just jumped onto that wagon, but okay. Now you're clarifying it. Um, And so was your, family and the culture i mean you broke away from it pretty quickly uh not surprising pluto and you know eighth house libra is like you're gonna die and resurrect through relationships um it's your destiny north node there too so don't think this is a one and done you're gonna i don't know if you're married and stuff but like you're gonna be like probably have a lot of relationships and alchemized through friendships and relationships you know like one day you're like i'm a cheerleader and then you're like i'm a goth and i don't even talk to the cheerleaders anymore or whatever like that kind of thing is very real for you um what was the culture from which you were kind of stemming? I mean, were they like, I mean, obviously military, but were they like mystical in any way? Were they like Republican wasps? What was going on there?
1: Are you talking about within my family?
2: Yeah, I mean, I know it was like a blip on the radar and you kind of dipped out and I kind of want to get into those adventures. Um, But I'm just trying to get a context for like how you, like from what island did you jump off of or whatever?
1: Yeah, um, well, hmm when I was really young, I I, I have this, I want to say it, it's like a gift and a curse. I have this sensitivity to feeling things. And there was a lot of aggression in my house. Um, and I think it stemmed from, you know, the kind of experience of, you know, my father being in war and things, and I just couldn't handle it. I could not handle the stress. Uh, I couldn't handle the the violence, the aggression, it just really uh, didn't sit well with me. And so I, I i decided to leave. I felt like I could do better outside of that environment. My mother, on the other hand, ironically as a doctor and a healer she teaches yoga and meditation this came years later you know she was a mother at first but when my split you know my brothers and I moved out and everything Um, she went back to school and she got her doctorate uh, a double doctorate um, for animal medicine and human medicine and she teaches yoga and meditation so my mom's always been like that grounding force for me um but no not it's it's been that duality you know like the war and then the peace The same. and i like i fell somewhere in the middle it seems like i have a little bit of both in me from my parents i ha- definitely have a warring side but it's mostly a war against myself and uh and then i have a very peaceful side um that i think i adopted from my mother
2: we're yeah. just looking at your chart you have chiron which is like the wound where the light comes in you could say like it sucks but it's like you heal through it uh your chiron's in taurus which is like and in third house so it's like you just didn't feel like the ideas of your home were jiving probably pretty confusing um and maybe even felt like you know <laughs> your values were never like people's values in the home were very different than yours at a, at a mental level so you not surprising you were like all right eject i want to do my own thing so um what were some of the first adventures i mean was it safe like what the fuck were you doing like like uh, like working on farms and going place to place like how did you make it work cuz that's a young age to um emancipate oneself
1: yeah i yeah right um i'm a bit of an old soul though like i my mother luckily uh instilled very good kind of work and earning habits in me she took me to work with her when I was nine years old she took various jobs um, you know at a leather shop at a gallery place where she made cement figures that people put in their yards and she, she delivered flyers for a roofing company and she would take me on these and she like do you want to go to work and make some money today you know and so but from nine until you know 14 I had already had work experience. So it was very easy for me to go to work. Um, and my mom was actually really, really generous. And she co-signed on an apartment for me a year after I had moved out so that I could live on my own because I was living with some pretty shady people and I went to her and I said, you know, it's kind of dangerous where I'm at. I'd really like my own place. Uh, but I Define
2: shady. Were these like alcoholics? Well, or like, like witches, drug. They're or- like
1: drug dealers. I think. Um, I don't. I wasn't really sure. I just didn't. The energy did not feel safe. Like it just felt very dark there. Um, and you know, even though I didn't really know what was going on, I just could sense that it wasn't a safe place to be. Uh, intuitively, I was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like this is not. This is not on your path. Like, this is a, d- a detour, and you don't need to be here. And my mom supported that, and she co signed for an apartment for me when I was almost 16. And yeah, and the rest is history. I started working as a cocktail waitress, and then I started bartending when I was 19. And then I just crushed it as a bartender and made <laughs> entirely too much money for that age and bought a house when I was 22 in Atlanta. And was bartending in Atlanta and then, you know, went from Atlanta to LA, spent a decade in LA and then left LA and backpacked the world and did that for eight years.
2: I'm sure you realize this, but, uh, and I'm not like narking on you. I don't really care, but it's like most kids aren't earning money that young nor getting co-signed. Like, that's really nice that it worked out for you like that. Um, I'm curious, were these like Coke dealers or like mushroom dealers? Like probably not hippies in a good way. It seems more edgy and, uh. Darker have vibes.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they were medicine men. No.
2: Right. Um, uh, so La La Land, you were out there for a decade. Uh that's where I, I was I'm much like you. I've been traveling a lot, living in Switzerland for a year, Australia, Ecuador, all sorts of crazy places. Um and I got I flew in from Australia to LA right when COVID dropped. Like right day after Valentine's Day, and you know people are like, "Have you been to China on the plane?" I'm like, "What are you talking about? No, I haven't been." To-. So I got stuck in North Hollywood for a month. What part of LA were you doing? How did that work? Because it's a, I could see it being fun, but you have to be like plugged in properly, or else it seems like just a crazy vain rat race of the weirdest kind.
1: Yeah, LA was a challenge. Um, I came there very open, very honest, very trusting, and it kind of ate me alive, (laughs) to be honest.
2: Uh, I think that's like a typical story. I mean... Like, where dreams go to die kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I was I was not prepared. I, I can say that. I was way too honest. I was way too – I was naive. Uh, I was way too trusting. Uh, I got duped a lot. I got taken advantage of a few times, and I, it kind of changed me. I, I started to distrust the world, actually, living in L.A. It took me a good – Four years to, or five years to find my tribe, which I have a fantastic tribe there now, but it took some time to find them. Um, I, you know, it's a, it's a city of actors and I, my bullshit detector just was not up to par (laughs) when I first got there. I was expecting, you know, people to be as, open and honest as I was. And that just wasn't the case. And so it was, it was pretty challenging. LA uh, really brought me down, actually brought me down pretty low. And it wasn't until I found my tribe, my burners, I went to Burning Man and I started working in a nightclub in Santa Monica and met these really amazing people um, that I'm still friends with. I have a very good core group of friends from Los Angeles and and they kind of changed that for me, you know, like my trust started to build again. I started to kind of open up again because I had i'd shut completely down um after the fourth year i just didn't i didn't feel well there I, I just felt like the whole place was fake and i was just really searching for authentic people and i was having a really hard time finding them
2: so were you doing psychedelics before this or i mean just going to burning man like uh, it's a, like, it's almost like a salvador Dali, you know acid trip or something i've never been but it looks pretty dope uh how did you fall into that whole scene
1: um, yeah, actually my first experiences with psychedelics, uh, was when I was a teenager, they, that's actually what kind of broke me, broke my mind open to the interconnectedness of everything that started when I was 15, 16, 17. And then I didn't do psychedelics for a really long time because I had already seen what I needed to see. I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. I get that. You Know there's no need to repeat. Um, and Burning Man, I was actually sober for the whole thing at Burning Man, and uh,
2: yeah. typical. Well,
1: well, Burning Man is really intense, okay. And I could, I honestly couldn't imagine it on drugs, I think it would be too much for, for me, uh, personally. It, it was already intense enough, there was already enough going on that I, I just I didn't think it, it was,
2: is a drug experience.
1: Yeah, it is by itself. And I didn't need anything else to enhance. It. it was already enhanced. It was already vibrant and it was already intriguing and it was already interesting and it was enough. I didn't need anything else. And uh, I had a very, very good experience of burning that a really fantastic time. Um, And I actually met those people at that nightclub that I worked at. Uh, I don't remember how I got to this club and met these people. It's a friend of a friend, somebody, Introduced me to somebody, and I ended up at the Moor Bar. And then they invited the second year that I was working there, they invited me to be part of their tribe at Burning Man. They had their own theme camp, theme camp, so we would come a week early and stay a week late, you know, to set up our stuff and to break it down. And um, yeah, that was that so What was my, the theme? It was called the Mecca Outpost. And, uh, it didn't really have a theme per se. It was more like a giant living room. Um, <laughs> it had, well, several giant living rooms, uh, just huge, huge tents with lots of seating and, you know, carpets and a DJ booth that I actually got to build for our camp. Um, a DJ booth slash bar. And yeah, it was just, uh, it was right on the Esplanade. And so people could just wander in and sit down and have conversations and listen to music. And it was just kind of like a A hangout spot I really liked it yeah
2: so you're a cancer that's all about like home and comfort at a level like kind of nurturing and it sounds like you kind of combined you brought the magic of the cancerian vibes but also with the bartender know-how uh were you hustling drinks there
1: I did pour some drinks um I don't bartend anymore though I quit bartending in 2006 I think it was 2006, 2007, uh, after I dated an alcoholic. <laughs> I dated an alcoholic and I was like, this, the money's really good. I have a really great time, but I think ultimately I can't do this work with this on my conscience. So I switched and started teaching preschool, which is ironically very similar to being in a bar full of drunk people because preschoolers are like just little drunk people.
2: I've worked with pre K and kindergartners, they're awesome. Um, Yeah, they think you're God, like they're kind of still open consciously to the point where like, it's weird because you can like mold their reality, and you can kind of tell, but you can also participate in some like reality that they're just, I mean, I think I've read an article somewhere that like, uh, they have like a prefrontal cortex synapse uh, network that hasn't formed yet until you're about five or six, and basically you're stoned naturally, and it's like all the colors are bright, and you're hungry all the time, and it's just like, you know, inner child shit, so it's a lot of fun.
0: Reinforce that point briefly, you know, scientifically, you not know, that, not that that's what it's about, but you can measure this through brain waves, as I understand. And that's why there's always this saying with the Jesuits, you know, give me your child for the first seven years. It will belong to the church for the rest of its life because you're just in, you know, more dreamlike states and you don't have this type of censoring and so on. Uh, yeah, that adults have. So.
1: You know, the children for me, actually, when I was at teaching in preschool, I actually felt like they were the teachers and I was the student and I was just kind of facilitating their learning. I, I, I learned more from those children um, about curiosity, about wonder, about expressing emotion, about friendship and unfriendship, you know, um, and so I really felt like they were teaching me. And I was just there to help them explore their ideas. You know, I would just ask a question. I wonder what happens if we, you know, if what would happen if we had this? And then if they're interested, then I would bring the things to them so they could experiment kind of thing.
2: I don't want to go too long on bartending. Uh, I don't really drink anymore. Totally understand. It's a scene. I mean, I'm not against it, but it's like it's a different kind of scene. I'd much rather, you know, eat acid and go to a, a park or something at this point. but. Um, what were some of the experiences? I mean, it seems like it's just, uh, how would I put this? On the one hand, you have people who want to celebrate and they're like, we're going to a bar or whatever and they're having a good time, so that's cool. But then there's people who are just kind of like barflies. Um, Did you find that like you, f- like we picking up on really depressive kind of loop, you know, feedback loops and where it's just like, oh my God. I mean, it sounds like there's good money and the reason you quit was an alcoholic, but I'm kind of wondering about the overall experience in terms of like emotional color palette. Was it like, exciting or actually draining and you're just like I'm facilitating people's you know (laughs) addictions or how did you feel about that
1: well actually I chose to work in very high volume nightclubs so I didn't get a whole lot of interaction with the guests other than what do you want that'll be $14 (laughs) (laughs) right so
2: it's not like Consuelo's been here for six hours on one beer crying about his wife okay
1: no i didn 't know i and I purposely uh chose high volume because I was there to make money. I was there to the more drinks you pour the more money the, the more opportunity you have to make tips and so I chose the most high volume nightclubs I could get into i 'm talking like four or five thousand dollars at pours you know in four hours. It was just just pumping out drinks, you know, um, I worked in a show bar called uh, Makos in Atlanta, and I learned how to show tent. So I learned how to blow fire. I learned how to do bottle flare. And once I learned that, Um, my tips went from 20% to about 45% of my sales. And it was just ridiculous. The amount of money I was making. I think I bought
2: a fucking house apparently.
1: I, yeah, I like think my second year, no, my third year bartending, I made $140,000 that year. It was really insane. Um, I was like, wow, this, this is legal. Like this is crazy. Um, but I did, I, there were times where I did work, um, I filled in at slower bars and I didn't really like it um, because yeah, the slower it is, the more um, you're going to pick up on the people's energy that are there. And then there is a mix, you know, the people that are going there to celebrate and the people that are going there that there's that bar fly that sits with the one beer for six hours, you know, and you can feel them. So I prefer not, I prefer not to get into why they're there. I'm just there to, to make, I was just there to make money. Um, And then, it's moon
2: some, life. You're just like, let's crush skulls. I want to. I, I need the bucks. It makes me feel good.
1: Yeah. Well, it's it, well. It was, I and I also. I really like parties. I like to. I like gatherings. I really like events. I like to see people dancing. I like to see people laughing. I and some this warring part of me sometimes likes to see fights. Like when fights would break out in the bar, I would jump up on the bar and jump into the fight. And like instinctually, and I don't even know why I would do it, but like in, my impulse was like break it up or get in it or something. You know. Um, my mother was actually there for one of those. She tried to grab me as I launched myself off the bar. But I did it because usually when you, as a female, you throw yourself in between some guys that are fighting, they'll stop because it's confusing. Ideally. Them. They, well, it, it worked every time. Um, they stopped. No punches were thrown and secure was able to grab them and kind of you know move them from the dance floor so um, and everybody could continue having a good time. But I really liked the atmosphere. I liked the loud music. I liked the screaming and I liked the dancing and I liked that I was able to be at a party every weekend. Playing with people, and then I could would leave with more money I could fit my pockets. It was insane. I'm like, you get paid to party, like that. That's cool. It didn't really feel like work, you know.
2: You do have, like I said, uh, cancer. You're in your cancer with Jupiter and Mercury and Sun conjunct, but it's in fifth house, Leo. So yeah, life of the party, Sun. Like let's like live in la vida loca, like to a point is like what you're all about. Uh, It doesn't surprise me you're kind of huffing the fumes from the environment intuitively and just being like, I want to be here. Plus the Cap Moon being like. Yeah, let's make some money. It's like this could be work and it's not really work kind of thing. So I'll I'll stop trying to elude to your chart so much. I'm kind of a geek like that. But um so what was the uh and it sounds like you brought the burning man flare to bartending before you ever went, is that right?
1: Yeah, I started flare flare bartending in two thousand and one and I went to my first burning man in two thousand and four. Um, and it was because I worked at, I got hired in this show bar and there was just these, there was 11 bartenders. It was a huge club and it was always packed. And there was just these really awesome bartenders there that were doing bottle flare. And I was like, I have to learn that. So I bought the show tender set that was like PVC bottles, weighted bottles. And I would just, in my backyard, I would, I set up a fake bar and I would just during the day, sometimes go out there and just try new tricks, you know, and I come into come into work and do this new flair because I, I was learning that the more show I could provide, the more money people would pay me. So I was like, well, let's There is a it.
2: correlation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds like some Coyote Ugly stuff. Very cool. was, I
1: actually worked at Coyote Ugly in Atlanta, oh, too. Oh, shit! It was okay. one of my least favorite events because, of uh, my least favorite clubs to work in, because it was patroned mostly by men, and they would just stand at the bar and drool at the bartender's dancing on the bar. There was very little. It was just more about that theme. You know, oh, let's go to Coyote Ugly watch girls dance on the bar. And That was pretty much it. You know, it, it, there wasn't a it whole lot. It was like
2: burlesque thing. with alcohol, as opposed to maybe a bar where you're hustling hard or like it yeah. doesn't seem like high volume at that level like you were talking oh, it about was, before
1: yeah it was high volume i mean we were we were pouring drinks but then we would stop pouring drinks at period periods throughout the night because a certain song would come on and we were required to get on the bar and dance we had to i had to do like three months of training to learn all of these dances to be able to work at this place it was pretty crazy
2: That's an interesting life skill. I mean, it's a good memory, even if it didn't ultimately pan out, but not many people could say they've been a coyote, I guess, or however one would refer to oneself. So when did the travel bug kick in? It sounds like you did the L.A. thing – Maybe ended up finding your tribe. How did that end up switching to like, fuck this, I'm out of here kind of mode?
1: Yeah, that's actually a pretty sad story. Um, My best friend of 24 years uh, at the age of 32 um, had ovarian cancer and she was living in Atlanta at the time and she uh, got better and then she called me and Said, hey, I'm feeling better. I want to come see you. She came over to LA. I took her camping on Catalina Island for three or four days. And then she went back to Atlanta. And then she called me a few months later and she said, I'm really sick again, um, coming to San Francisco to where my mother lives to get on his health insurance because it's really bad. And so I drove up to see her in San Francisco and it was really bad. I, I spent the last year of her life with her by her bedside every weekend. I would go up there because I wasn't bartending anymore. I was teaching. So I was worked work during the week and then I would go up on weekends and I just kind of held her hand and stroked her hairless head and just you know, uh, the last year of her life. And it was really tough. And when that, and then I was married too at the time, and my marriage was falling apart. Um, and it, it was all happening at the same time her death and my marriage kind of breaking up. And I just, she died in October of 2012. I just made a decision that. I wanted to really live. I could predict my entire month before it started. I knew exactly how my life was going to unfold before it even started. I was in such a routine and I was, and I wasn't happy with it really authentically happy. I felt like something was really missing and her death was kind of the catalyst for my kind of searching, you know, because she, I wanted, I felt really helpless, Didn't know how to help her. I didn't know how to be supportive other than just to be there. And I I didn't understand why she was so sick. And I didn't, you know, and I just, I I left her death, left me with a lot of questions and a a very uneasy feeling. And, And that's why I just, I went home and I, Told my husband that I wanted to backpack around the world, and I asked him if that was something he was interested in, and he was like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> and so we kind of shook cool. hands. A
2: reconcilable difference, there, I guess.
1: Yeah, and we, so we kind of shook hands. I said, "I'm really sorry, but you know, this I really feel the impulse to do this. I, I want,
2: I got to go.
1: Yeah, I want to. Uh, I really want to know what it's what it really means to live, because I don't feel that I'm doing that at the moment. And Cheryl's death kind of." Um, showed me how quick you know like things could just one day to the next like that's it that's all the life you get and i know like am i really living to my fullest and do i even know what that means and that was kind of like yeah that's what started the me was her death
2: well like i said earlier and i don't want to say i told you so but like your pluto and north node are in libra in eighth house so it's like death through relationships transformation through death uh that's why even i you know i was like i don't know if you're married like divorce is going to be a thing for you. I didn't want to say it like that. I don't know you, so I don't want to be dour, but it's like not surprising. Uh, so don't feel bad. In a weird way, it's like it had to occur. Um, I mean, if you, if it makes you feel any better. And then the weird part is, I don't know how comfortable you felt escorting someone through like, um, almost like a death doula kind of thing. Um, I. It sounds like it kind of jarred you, but is uh, like you're built for that in a way. Like you were there. You, I mean, I don't want to be so like grandiose and be like, you came here to do that for that thing but it's like that's not a surprise it wasn't just like a really nice friend who were there to nurture her through her transition like you that's part of your karma maybe with her or whatever uh, but it's in your chart so it's like you're definitely going to be with people at their deaths uh you're going to have relationships that you know kind of come and go through you know very transformative things um but you'll know when they're done so like you were saying with the husband or whatever it's like yo like i guess the uh This soda's flat like i gotta go do some other stuff and it's like i guess i'm trying to like nicely say in a consolatory way like uh it's in your chart so don't feel bad if you do
1: no i don't i don't feel bad um i actually uh i felt a bit helpless i felt like i i wasn't sure what to do uh it was my first you know experience and it was my best friend it was the person that was the closest to me and the person that i wanted to help more than anyone and i just felt helpless. Like I I felt like I didn't know what to do other than just be there. And that's, you know, and that was part of my seeking. Like when I left, I was like, I need to know, I need to develop this, you know, I need to to develop this kind of stability because I felt very unstable. And the whole thing, I, I was, it was very confusing and it was very painful and it was, very hard to be a part of and I, I, I but i know it's a part of life and 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 you know i know that this is going to come again and so i wanted to understand you know a little bit more about that and uh ironically uh just 2 years ago my other best friend who i had met at the same time as Cheryl also got cancer stage 4 non hodgkin's lymphoma and while i was in the sahara desert and i knew it like i I had this uh dream about him and I sent him a text. It was like 2 days before I was going into the Sahara on a silent retreat for 30 days and I wrote him and I was like, I had this dream. Your body's really sick. Are you okay? You know. And he wrote me back, and, Oh, I got this uh, Harley Softail. Check it out. Yeah, I'm looking a little green, but look at this motorcycle. And I was like, Okay, well, I'll just leave that alone. And and then when I came out of the Sahara, I got a call from my mother, and she was like, You need to come home as soon as you can. Your your friend is really, really sick. And I was like, Fuck, I knew it. And I when I went back to be with him, it was a very different experience than when I was with Cheryl. Um, I felt way more confident. This is actually when I reached out to Raphael um who shared with me interesting protocol that I used with with him um to treat his condition, and we did oh, a lot right. yeah, yeah, it was that and he's still alive. uh he was being called a miracle case by his doctors. They wanted to hit him with eight rounds of chemo and chemo is what killed Cheryl. In my opinion, I watched it happen every time he came back from a chemo treatment, she was just more dead. And, you know, like one one, 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 you know, toe in the grave. And I was like, I don't know about this chemo thing. And then when he, when Paul got sick, um, and they told him eight chemo treatments. I told him, you know, my understanding has changed over the years. And this traveling has taught me different things. I'd like to consult some close friends uh, who are also uh, have some understanding about this. And I didn't. It was a very different experience. Um, it, it hurt still to see him like that. Um, but I, I didn't have that uh, nervousness and uncertainty. I was feeling actually very confident.
2: It and- wasn't your first rodeo. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it wasn't my first radio. And I think the 76 years of traveling and meeting all these shamans and doing all this inner work and understanding about metaphysical and, and, you know, like how energy can get stuck in the body and like how to treat yourself you know, and not just take the drugs that the doctors want you to take, but actually how to look at inner issues. And that's what we did. And, uh, I learned, you know, about Cheryl, I learned some really heartbreaking things about her after she died, um, about how she was abused, sexually abused as a child that I did not know. And she developed uterine cancer and, you know, other friends were like, yeah, she always felt that part of her was very dirty, you know, because it was misused. And I, you know, I felt like that experience led to her death. And so it made Very curious about the metaphysical um, aspects of our health. And so when I met with Paul, I had a very different perspective. I was much more grounded, I was much more aligned with, hey, your spleen's exploding. Do you know what the metaphysical is for that? And he was like, I think I'm holding grudges. And I'm like, dude, that's it. Like nailed it. Like, do you want to look at those grudges? And he's like, not right now. (laughs) But then I had to learn how to respect his no. Um, Even though I just wanted to push for a yes. Yes. Let's do this. Let's do it now. I I had also learned on my travels, how to respect somebody's no, and you can't help somebody until they have a yes. It
2: doesn't matter how hard you push. That's a fucking hard lesson.
1: It's a really hard lesson, especially when it's your best friend, you know, your other, best friend. It's like, these are like two lifelong friends. These are the people I've known the longest that know me more intimately than anyone else. And the people that I would want to help more than anyone, <laughs> you know, it's like, these are the people that I really want to survive. Like, I, I just feel so connected to them. And, um, but I had to learn that, you know, how to respect to no, know. And he had a very clear no in the beginning. And then, so I had to be very patient. I stayed with him for four months, uh, every day and took him to his appointments and, you know, cared for him. And then by the second month, he was being a little bit more receptive. So we started doing some meditations together. I started, I was massaging him with CBD oils. We were talking to his body. I was teaching him how to talk to his body, how to go into the shadow, how to dance with these things that he was holding that were you know, exploding inside of his abdomen. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he's fine now. Um, I think he's still swinging in and out of the, 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 you know, the new and the old. He, he hasn't quite um developed his routine yet like his practice to keep himself grounded but he's going back and forth and you know hopefully he that that starts to level out and he doesn't have to have you know a second round with this another fight with this because it's usually the second round is much harder than the first and so um but he's the doctors called him a miracle case he only did two rounds of chemo and we treated him with the uh with their suggestions from Raphael and um also with the cbd stuff that i had sent in from uh, california a lot of body massages a lot of meditation and yeah that was two a little over two years ago and he's 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 still here and he doesn't have, he's cancer free so you know there was there was something that happened there
2: Shit works clearly uh is a funny character like that obviously some um you know libra pixie that you see in a nightclub uh, like I said, I mean, I'm just looking at your chart. I know his for a little is like, you guys, yeah, you're, I don't want to be as like, uh, you know, prescriptive as like, you are going to be a person who deals with death, but it's like, it's, it's obviously come up twice in major relationships, major transformations catalyzed you. The first one kicked you into a seems seven or eight year sojourn mode. And then you came back and you know, it's almost like, um, before school and after school kind of modus operandi through the experience so he largely probably survived because of you and maybe a little Raphael's help props rough but um yeah, then no, you it, kind yeah, of showed up it, to the rodeo knowing what the fuck to do this time.
1: It really felt like that, you know, and and, I, and that was actually kind of I was like, oh, like I did learn something. <laughs> like I actually did. I didn't just go wander around, and you know, like I actually got some answers. I actually got some understanding, and you know, the things that I was seeking found me. And I met really amazing healers who just took me to dimensions that I didn't even know existed. Why? I, maybe I had some intuitive sense that they existed. I think psychedelics had a little bit to do with that when I. I was younger, showing me the interconnectedness of things, but they took me to levels of understanding. Dr.
2: Strange levels.
1: Yeah. Like I just was like, whoa, that's magic. Wow. Like I didn't even know that that was possible. That's really interesting. You know, and then it just taught me a lot about, yeah, listening to the body, being able to pick up on energies. One of the things I'm working on right now is how to not eat the energy of people because I am so sensitive. If someone passes me on the street and they're angry, I will start to feel angry, like out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, who is it? Like, what do you <laughs> You know? And so that's kind of annoying. And I'm learning uh, how to feel. Shield. Without digesting, you know, like to, feel, yeah, to feel it and say, oh, okay, this is here. But without like, yeah, without eating it and letting it, you know, kind of become part of my personal experience. Because that's that could be really uncool Times
2: Most definitely. Um, I want to go down the rabbit hole a little in terms of what these might have been. Maybe where you traveled, what you did maybe some of these nuggets, but maybe if Raphael wants to play a tune, we could take a quick get tea break, potty break, whatever's clever, uh, feel good.
1: That's really appropriate. Yes. How much time do I have?
0: Well, it seems you got about five minutes. Jimmy, you want to have your track played or something else first?
2: Uh, It's, it's whatever. I picked four non-blondes, what's going on, because yeah! I don't know. Okay, see. I'm not God. psychic, oh but God. I was like, I feel like she'll like this song. That
1: is the song that I sing in karaoke.
2: Well, goddamn, I'm oh not psychic, but I'm close, right? So uh no, I've got a bunch of interesting placements. I mean, like I said, I'm not like seeing visions of the future, but I'm like, I'm pretty in tune. So um that's yeah, more that's the most
1: appropriate song you could pick.
2: That's let's do oh it. My. All
1: right. See you guys in five well, minutes.
0: Here we go. Welcome back to Team Rabbit 12 edition. 188 by now I would say uh, you have well proven it shadow dancer indeed thank you for all the stories you've shared so far melissa
1: wow this that song is so moving thank you
2: <laughs> hey can't can't fake magic i was just like i feel, i don't know, trust me it's not like this is on my mind right now i was like uh yeah that one and i was kind of like weirded because i was like is this some like cool raver that like wants to hear like you know <laughs> crazy spangle whatever like burning man stuff and i was like why am i playing a 90s kind of karaoke thing but there it is folks uh and as far as the shadow dancing yeah you have eighth house libra libra is about relationships you dance with eighth house pluto and north node death and shadow and integration and transmutation all that very apt uh title for yourself that's your destiny that's your karma to be a shadow dancer so own it
1: you know, it's really interesting. I have a friend that's into numbers and he pointed out the 1978, the number one song in 1978, the year I was born is a uh, shadow dancing.
2: <laughs> well, there's always resonance at every level if you have eyes to see. So I'm kind of curious when you launched off your friend passed, which I'm sorry about, but it sounds like it prepared you for more. So, I mean, in a weird kind of Bashar sense, Raphael might be able to speak on this is like you signed up for this adventure in these ways. I know. I don't know about your presuppositions ontologically in terms of like free will and determinism and all this stuff. It's kind of both simultaneously, but it's like, yeah, you asked for certain flavors and this is how they manifested. So good on you for showing up when you were asked. You could balk at that. You could have been like, I can't do this, but you did it regardless of how difficult it was. And it did uh, inform you for later, um, you know recursive kind of events so um where did you travel to first like kind of just give me a rundown i mean eight seven eight years is a long time but it's like what was the mission when did you start doing sounds like shamanism like where were you going sounds like palenque and places like this so like kind of give me a rundown um you know of the itinerary
1: yeah, the, well, I was in California, so uh, I got the, the. I made the decision to go travel. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have uh, much money or much direction, and I got a phone call from a friend, and she asked me to join her for the end of the world rainbow gathering. And I th- felt like I was kind of at, at the end of the world anyway, so I felt like it was appropriate, and so I went with her to Central America. We went to Mexico and traveled together for about three weeks and then she had to go back to San Francisco and I just uh, – I wanted to stay and so she left and I stayed and I went through Guatemala and I met a chocolate shaman there and did a chocolate ritual which was very interesting and built – worked on an ship which was also very cool. Hold on, and, before we
2: go too quick, chocolate ritual, what does that involve? And obviously, you might speak Spanish. I'm hoping just that might have made it easier.
1: <laughs> um a child, no hablo. Uh you are My my spouse was a chilango from la ciudad de méxico, but I don't speak spanish uh since I separated from my husband I I also stopped speaking spanish and eh, ich spreche deutsch jetzt aber nicht sehr gut. Not so well, uh, but I started speaking german instead. So now when I want to think in spanish I hear german. Um, but the chocolate ceremony was really interesting. I met a man named Cacao Keith in Guatemala. I had heard about him while I was backpacking around Lake Atitlan. And I had met up with a German guy and he also had heard about this guy. And We he was like, let's go find him. And it was really easy. It just like everything just aligned. Like we went right to his house. Ha- it was so bizarre how, how simple it was to find him. Um, just the right people at the right time pointing us in the right direction. It was really effortless.
2: Some path of least resistance shit. That lake you mentioned, is that the one with all the volcanoes around it? Yeah,
1: with the two volcanoes, yeah.
2: I think that's the oldest city in the northern hemisphere, or whatever hemisphere it's in. I think it's really fucking old, if if I'm not mistaken. But I don't Mm. know enough Central American history to speak eloquently anyway go ahead didn't mean to cut you off i'm just like no, okay. no you go yeah. going quick hold on no, let's look at the no, postcard now
1: now that's interesting yeah i i don't know that either um it is a very magical place there is quite a bit going on there and yeah we found cacao keith and he's like a chocolate shaman he uh uses cacao ceremonially ceremonial ceremonially <laughs> and so he has these gatherings at his house where they prepare fresh batches of chocolate, raw chocolate, and they mix it in warm water and they throw a little bit of chili in there to like get it moving through your system. And I was like, I never heard of a, you know, chocolate ceremony and I'm more of a milk chocolate, sweet chocolate kind of girl. So I was like, this raw dark chocolate was really kind of bitter and not very interesting uh, on my palate. But I was curious about the process because I had heard, you know, good things about this from other travelers. They're like, Oh, if you find cacao Keith, you should go do it. So we get there. And we sit on the porch, we're instructed to sit on the porch and there's a, a people still showing up. We got really great seats, uh, very close to Keith so we could hear him. And we were served this chocolate and we drank it. And then I just closed the, like, I got this really like kind of heavy wave on me, like a heaviness. And I closed my eyes. And he was talking and I honestly cannot remember anything he said, because I just sunk so deep into a meditation that I stayed in for like almost four hours. He spoke for four hours and I don't recall any of it because I was so far in myself. And then when I opened my eyes, Tears just like poured out, but there was nothing like it was just silence. It was this very, very, and it was the first experience I had ever had of that in, in that deep of a meditation. And then when I opened my eyes, all of these tears just poured out. I looked at my two friends that were with me and the same thing, the two guys, and the same thing was happening to them. They opened their eyes and tears just poured out. And we were all just kind of looking at each other like, What the fuck just happened? Like that was really interesting, you know. And we moved, we got up and left, thanked our. Host, you know, and everything, and we got up and left, and I, it just never left me. Uh, actually. Here we just had some uh, of this chocolate. I was telling, you know, my my friend here in Belgium about that experience, and he was like, "Oh, show me more." And we went online, and Cacao Keith has a website and everything. And I was like, "This guy, this is what it was." And he ordered some, and we just actually did the ceremony here a couple weeks ago, and the same thing happened to him. It was his first, you know, chocolate ritual, and he had the same experience. It's very deep, deep meditation, and then just kind of coming out of it with these tears, and just kind of like feeling. A little bit lighter like a little bit like who like something was dissolved through that experience so that was that was pretty cool
2: move over Willy Wonka. uh it's funny because i went to my first festival i'm a musician and into like psychedelics and shit but i've never really been a festival and i went to my first one on orcas island up off the uh coast of seattle last september volunteering somebody's gonna be coming on the podcast at some point i don't even know how hit how he knew but he's like you've never been to a festival hit me up on facebook he's like come on out you can volunteer so I was doing that shit and I did cacao there, but it wasn't, I wish I had been seated now that I think about it and like kind of taking it seriously. Some random kind of like person walked up to me and was like, would you like some cacao? And I'm just now realizing that's what it was because I drank it and it felt like, I mean, I don't want it to sound too woo, but it was like not psychedelic, but it was like my heart chakra kind of like softly, like kind of like a rose opening or something. It felt very kind of just. And like you're saying, kind of a heavy warmth, (laughs) but I was also like kind of volunteering and doing weird shit and maybe high or whatever the fuck I was doing. So uh, it wasn't as integrative as an experience as it sounds like you had.
1: Yeah, it's, it is a very heart opening experience. And I think it is for the ritual. Um, it is more beneficial if you, you know, are seated and really there for the ritual of it, you can really get the full effect of it. I think it, it has an effect regardless. Uh, but I think you can really kind of harness the power of it if you, yeah, c- you sit with it and let it let that be your focus, like you're going to ingest this drink, and then you're just going to close your eyes, you're gonna let it do its magic. And it was it was magic. I I was very, Uh, surprised by it and, and very grateful for it because it was kind of right on time. I was still very fragile from, you know, it was still very early on in my travel and I was still had a very heavy heart from losing my, my partnership and my best friend and, you know, and then leaving my, leaving the school and just feeling very vulnerable and lost. And this kind of ritual brought me back to my heart center, which was really what I needed at that moment. So, um, yeah, cacao's <laughs> chocolate's not just for you know drizzling on ice cream. Like you can uh, actually go places with that, which is really interesting mm-hmm. because it's not it's a non psychedelic experience. It is more of a a flowering of your heart. It's a, like a, a kind of like a cleansing. It feels like a cleansing, which was really really welcome at that time. Yeah.
0: Just to mention briefly, as you talk about cacao, so just now I drank well only two hundred milliliters, maybe of raw cacao and not a ceremonial dosage. But all I want to say is that, of course, I have to do some advertisements, superflash.at, if you're in Austria, otherwise you got to find your, you know, local supply or get it from Peru or something. Cacao keys, man. Yeah, international. Whoever else, uh, you get the raw cacao blocks, you can chop it up. You don't need to overdose every time. You can put in you know dates nuts soaked ideally all kinds of other things chaga mushroom and all i can say is i drink this every day and i know why so um yeah all the things you say definitely true i also have a friend who does these cacao ceremonies and they're super effective however what i want to just mention is this can also be simply be used as a replacement for coffee or something and at least for me and for my system it is uh, beyond perfect so this does not have to be uh only consumed on special occasions although of course putting all that consciousness into it is a whole different level but it can also be integrated into you know everyday lifestyle i think to great benefit especially again if you get the real cacao, it's you know most people don't even know what this is. So yeah, check it That's out. That's
1: true. And if you do, if you actually research, uh, which I did after I was fascinated, I was like, wait, what's this? And uh, I researched, you know, the buying culture, the cultures from that area of Central America, and cacao was actually a very they they they, they eat the they, sea they, pods, I think. They used to use it as currency. They used, oh, it, shit. used it. Yeah, they cacao was used as currency, like, it's I, like I,
2: Burning I, Man chocolate style. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll give you these, this cacao for a goat. Um, but yeah it was really it's it was very highly revered by these cultures um and it was used as medicine it was used in ceremony it was used as currency they used to have vast storehouses of cacao beans um it was quite yeah, a staple in their culture um, for a very long time they you know they documented its use quite heavily and until of course you know the 1500s when the spanish came over and, and kind of wiped out the, a lot of their you know the people there and and just kind of changed the, you know the things Um, so it stops, you know, because then, you know, the artifacts and things, you know, they, they don't really do well in, in these tropical conditions and don't last very long. And so this, the knowledge of it is limited, but we know enough that to know that it was very important to these cultures.
2: So after Guatemala, like what, I mean, you did years, so I'm guessing you kind of went home, did a little travel, went home. I don't know how you, your passport, I'm sure you kept it maybe stamped to the gills, but, um, where else did you go?
1: Yeah. I'm on my second passport. I had to get the bigger book. The first one I went through so fast at the 24 page, it was like gone in like the first two years, three years. And so I, I, when I got my new passport, when I was in India, I got the thicker one. So it could last a little longer. I could get more visas in there. Um, no, actually after I left Guatemala, I went up to Belize and to the Yucatan and, uh, and then back to the States to sign my divorce papers because I hadn't technically divorced my husband yet. And so I went back To do that and uh, went up to San Francisco. And that was actually an interesting story from San Francisco. When I was in San Francisco, I had just got there uh, and I'd been gone for four months backpacking around Central America. And I had just got there to go get my car and stuff. And I was going to go hang out with the girl, Megan, who – I had, who had invited me in to the rainbow gathering. And I was there for just a few hours and I got this really crazy loud voice in my head that was like, you have to leave the city and you have to leave it now and I was like, what? I just got here and I That's was, gonna... fucking
2: weird, and I was like in this like,
1: food coma, you know, I had gone to breakfast with my brother and I was, we were both asleep at his apartment because we, you know, the traditional American pancakes and all this just t- proper food coma. And I heard it, it woke me up out of this food coma, which is really like, they, that takes a lot to wake me up out of a food coma. And it was loud and it was like, you have to leave the city and you have to leave now. And I woke my brother up and I said, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you this without sounding crazy, but there's this voice in My head that's telling me to leave the city and I I can't it won't stop. It's so loud and it's just over and over. And he's like, "Well, whatever you do, which he's like, aren't you supposed to meet the girls at the art walk?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna have to call her. I I can't. It's it's giving me a headache. Like I gotta go." And I called her and I told her I'm really sorry. I really want to see you. I I just I cannot ignore this voice. That's way too loud. It's it's really making me crazy. I gotta get out of here. And I got my car. And I started driving away from San Francisco and the voice got less and less, you know, as I put distance between myself and the city, um, it started to quiet down by the time I got to LA, it was completely gone. And the next morning she called me and she was like hysterical. She was screaming and crying and she couldn't breathe. And, you know, once she got calm, I was like, what the, what is going on over there? And she's like, I know why you had to leave. And I was like, what happened? She's like, we got shot last night at the art walk. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. And she's like, like, no, gunshots? Yeah. There was they were at the art walk. It was these three girls that I was supposed to be standing with. I was supposed to go with these three girls to this art walk. And they were at the walk, and there were two guys that they don't know. They got into a fight, and one guy pulled out a gun, shot the other guy dead right there. Boom, shot him in the chest, and then went kind of bossing over with the gun, shot uh the two of the three girls that are supposed to be with one in the leg and one in the back what the fuck yeah yeah crazy shit they were trying to help the guy who fell the guy you who you might shot. have avoided
2: your death
1: I, I really think that that voice was divine guidance it was like you're not done here on earth yet you need to go because you
2: have other work to you do. you haven't even done ayahuasca yet <laughs> come on like don't die <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that was really strange. And that actually happened several times on my journey. Um, where I like wanted to go left and this very loud voice was like, you're going right. I write a lot about it in the book because it was just so crazy. There was times where I was told to leave a place. And then, you know, hours later, the police were there looking for me. That happened in Tunisia. I got this really loud command that was like, you need to leave right now. It was like eight o'clock at night and my, my, the girl that I was staying with was like, But sister, the louage, it will put you in Tunis at five o'clock in the morning. Why don't you just go in the morning? And I was like, I gotta go now. Like, I don't know. I gotta go now. And then she called me seven o'clock in the morning and she's like, Sister, the police are here looking for you. You speaking about Jesus, this is very bad, sister. You cannot speak about Jesus. And I'm like, speak about Jesus. What the fuck? I wasn't speaking about Jesus and then but what I was doing was I was secretly meeting with women who wanted out of the repression. We were having these secret meetings and we were developing this little plan to make a video. To have their voices heard, and and someone caught on about it, and they did not like it, and they put this false charge against me about talking. The police wanted to take me in for questioning, but I wasn't there because this divine voice told me to get the fuck out of there, and I listened. Which
2: country was that?
1: That was in Tunisia.
2: I didn't realize they were so crazy.
1: Yeah. In the south, in the southern part of Tunisia, in the northern part, like in Tunis or Sousse or Djerba, um, that's very frequented. That's frequented a lot by foreigners. So you'll see women walking around without their hair covered. You'll see women walking around alone. But if you start to go to the southern part, which is where we enter the Sahara, I've been into the Sahara uh, seven times on these silent retreats, the shortest one being two weeks and the longest one being 40 days. And um down there in the south it's very
2: uh old, old culture tribal, Yeah, more yeah reserved, a heavy whatever. repression
1: of women. Um they have to cover themselves and it's hot down there. And these women are walking around in like these full guard, black, you know, covered everywhere. And I'm like, how can you do that? And then they're not allowed to leave without a husband, brother or father escorting them. They, it's just, the rules are just really crazy. It was, it was very hard. i lived there for four months and it was very hard to not just kind of scream, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Why are you not empowering your women? Don't you know that this is, this is, you know, like you, you want that, that power and balance with your own, like what is going on? It was very challenging for me to live there. Um, and we, I started meeting with these women secretly and we made a video that Madonna actually featured on her BitTorrent site, her art for freedom site on the new moon. And I think it was 2000 and 14 or 15 I'd have to look I, I've been to so many places I have I have to refer to my diaries to tell you where I was and when That's a
2: good problem
1: yeah. I I actually had to do that to write the book. I had to uh, go back through my diaries. And luckily I wrote down where I was uh, from when to when. And each year, each year I have a book of diary. And at the very beginning, it says from September 19th to October, da, da, da I was here. And then the little names next to it, if I had met people. And that was really helpful
2: in the end when I tried to retrace everything and to put it all into a story. Um, I was lucky to have that What's up with the Sahara? Seven times is like, that's yeah. a repeat customer, clearly.
1: Yeah. It, a Seven has reappeared a lot on this journey. It was seven years. It's seven chapters in the book. It was seven women that I made that video with. It was seven trips in the Sahara. Seven it's
2: dead- 2.22 right now in Colorado for the record, so keep talking. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. all right, yeah, seven's a big deal. I get yeah, it.
1: Yeah, the seven deadly sins, the seven virtues. It just it kept reappearing. Um, the Sahara, I went into the – I was invited into the Sahara, and it was – the craziest part of the whole trip um i met so many sides of myself i processed so much anger and so much sadness and so much grief and so much shame and just it was just pouring out of my system and i you know i got i was lucky i met this really great teacher and he said would you like to come to the sahara and i went and then i was like holy shit what was that it I mean, was like it like
2: a desert journey or a spiritual journey? Like how were they? Yeah, framing it? it's
1: called it's called Zeit für Freiheit, which means time for freedom. And it's a it's a, it's mostly silent. You walk with your by yourself mostly. The majority of it is you walking alone with your thoughts and all your shadows and dancing with those. And and the interesting thing is it didn't take a whole it's lot of the minute. exact
2: opposite of Burning Man.
1: Yeah, the total opposite of Burning Man. It's to complete self-reflection and without any distraction. You are totally with yourself, but you're not, though. It felt like there were definitely um, energies at play out there to assist you know uh like uh, non-physical energies um because there the was desert
2: n- itself is it anthropomorphized like yeah, yeah.
1: it was weird um it, it didn't you know we didn't do a whole lot of like ritual or a ceremony or anything it was just walking and then this this i mean literally just walking like nothing's going on the next thing you know you're on your knees and you're well, for me, I was on my knees, and I was in full-on anger out of nowhere. It didn't come from any thought. It just, just was emotion just pouring out. I mean, I was just in this big fight with myself on one trip. And one trip, it was sadness. It was just sadness, that crying and crying and crying. Without one of any... each of the
2: dwarves. It was, it was,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. And I kept going until I the last trip. And the last trip, nothing. I had nothing really come out. And I was like, well, this must be done now. <laughs> like, this
2: part,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, it, the, all of that major cleansing that I had experienced on the previous trips just wasn't. Um, it was very quiet. The last trip was very, very quiet. And I just felt very peaceful the whole time I was walking. It was just very – I felt calm. I felt grounded. I felt like, oh – you know, maybe this part is done and now it's time to, you know, do something else.
2: Blowing up, drug dealer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Watch out, cocoa, cacao dealer. All right, <laughs> so um, I'm curious. Uh, okay. I mean, I know you've done ayahuasca. I want to get into your book at some point. We've got about, you know, a half an hour, all around that much, as long as you want to stay, potentially. But um, where else have you been?
1: Well, I went... I I mean I'll just I went on just five continents you know I went to Brazil and I I did North and Central America uh, almost all of Europe uh, India uh, Asia Egypt you know Morocco Tunisia like the North Africa parts I did Thailand and fucking like
2: Carmen San Diego up in here like, you're just <laughs> blowing through it no I'm like you know Egypt Brazil it's like these are dramatically different experiences I'm kind of trying to like tell me about any you know highlight or whatever um obviously they're probably in the book. But like, what's Egypt like? Um you Egypt know, was Europe, awful. Europe, I've done Western Europe a lot. Egypt was awful?
1: Evil. Egypt was awful. And I will tell you why, because I, I think it was the timing. Um, I went there right after the Arab Spring and there was a lot of unrest. I didn't even know the Arab Spring had happened. I was so far removed from the internet and newspapers and television. Like I had no idea until I got there. I was like, oh shit, what's going on here? You know? And then I met this group of uh, people and they were, saw me with my camera. I was taking pictures. they were like, you need to be really careful with your camera. And I was like, what is someone going to want to take it? They're like, no, they're going to want to put you in jail. And I was like, what? And they're like, don't you know what's happening here? And I was like, no. <laughs> and so they took me for coffee and explained the whole situation. These people and they were and I was like, wow. And then I was I wanted to go down to the Sinai and go. Um, scuba diving. I was heard that it was a very beautiful place to go scuba diving. And I wanted to do that. And uh, the day before I was supposed to leave Cairo to go down there, um, some people blew up a bus full of Koreans and said, all foreigners, get out of Sinai, or You're next. And I was like, see you later you know, like, on the plane, like back to uh, Egypt. I'll try this again. And another thing that about Egypt that was very uncomfortable for a solo female traveler was that men, the way that they Looked at me. I got grabbed at. I was pulled into places. Like, it was really very uncomfortable, unlike any other place. The men treated me like I was a prostitute. It was very – bizarre. It was very bizarre. And I I actually met a guy named Fabrice in the hostel that I was staying at because I couldn't make it to the corner to get a sandwich without being grabbed or pulled into a place or just
2: this is what happens with you repress sexuality to culture i want to point this out yes, it doesn't yes. like manifest well it turns into it, sketchy shit
1: it does and it, it's really interesting that the men are the ones that are enforcing this but they're all they're the ones that are really suffering from it you know it's like
2: <laughs> you got now, you think they'd pick up on that real quick yeah. but i guess i don't know you know damnation yeah. is one hell of a uh drug i guess it, so <laughs> Yes, I, so met this, you I did, met a, did you go to the pyramids? I, I did. Pyramids. I, to to stuff, I did. I like... met
1: a guy named Fabrice and I said, why are you here? And he's like, I want to go camp in the black and white desert. I want to go see the pyramids. I want to go. I was like, can I go with you? Cause that's what I would like to do too. This was before I wanted to go to Sinai, And he said, sure. And so I went trucking with him for about 10 days and he was fantastic. He was a really nice guy, teacher from France. Um, really tall, long dreads, just super, really good energy. Right when I saw him, I was like, that guy, I can travel. And when I was with him, I didn't get bothered at all. We had a fantastic experience. We took a little tour. We had these guys bring us out, these locals bring us out to the black and white desert. They asked if they could invite their friends one night. Their friends came out and they all, they played music for us. And it was just really special. Um, and we went to the pyramids and we went, and that was really interesting too, because we wanted to see the pyramids and kind of feel the energy there. And it was really, the only thing I didn't like about it it was the the pushers, like they were trying to sell stuff to you. Buy in any
2: sphinx, please.
1: Oh, there were so many of them, and it was like you couldn't you couldn't walk, you know, hundred yards without being approached by somebody trying to sell you something. And I, over and over, I'm like, I live out of a backpack. I can't put anything else in it. Like I'm here to see your culture. Can you can you teach me about your culture? And they're like, ah, culture.
2: <laughs> you know, like, What's away. the paradox? It's like the I mean, capitalism has this dark side where these people are trying to like do better. And they're like, oh shit! People with money are coming through, so this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's like logical at a level, but it's like, like whoring out your culture, and it's not it, even like it, valuable. it's like kitsch. It's like you yeah, know, have a fucking it, mini pyramid or whatever.
1: And it's really weird too because right across the street from the pyramids was a McDonald's, and I was like, this is just, this is crazy. Like this. <laughs> like there's a McDonald's right there. Like, what is going on? It was very strange. But Egypt was probably one of my least favorite countries. Uh, India was very special. I got to meet the Dalai Lama and Dharamsala and what? I, I, Yeah. I went That's to the temple. Deal. It was really amazing, and I uh, did a really cool satsang with Sri Muji. I did the vipassana meditation, had a crazy experience. A girl died at the vipassana meditation, and I felt her death, and it was, it was bizarre. What the it, fuck
2: it, happened there? I've been wanting yeah. to go do a vipassana for a while. With COVID, it's kind of hard now. But ten days silent retreat, whatever it is, yeah, it seems like 10 an interesting days, method. Yeah,
1: ten hours a day. It's it's heavy. Um, I had a very hard time in the hall. There were sixty people, and it was dark, brother. Let me tell you, it was dark. The, I mean, it was like this crazy. I had to leave and go into the pagoda because I could not, I, I just couldn't absorb. I was like, oh my God, I'm going absolutely insane in here. Like, what the fuck is that? And then I went into the pagoda and it got significantly quieter. There was still noise, but it was like, oh, that's my noise, right? Like, I could deal with this. And then I would go back in the hall and it was just war. It was wild and crazy. And I was like, this is just too intense. Like, I can't, I can't focus on my, work with all these other people's noise in my system I'm like get out of there <laughs> yeah so but when the girl died and i felt her death her was diet, that like
2: suspicious or she just like no uh
1: i think that she died i think that she had it was and it was really strange because she was the only girl i met right before like her and i were sitting next to each other i just want to point
2: out you're like a door to death for people <laughs> like i'm not kidding uh, like don't freak out about that but it's like no you're like you're on that wave
1: it's anyway, you know, go ahead. Not to you. That's so yeah. She met the can, girl
2: shook her hand and then she died, but what, Yeah, like,
1: what we yeah, we met in the office. She was sitting next to me and she had this really like haunted look about her and she wasn't being very forthcoming with information and the Indian guy was getting very desperate because she wouldn't really give him what he needed to admit her into the program and I made a joke, you know, with her and she just just went right past her and I was like, "Okay." So, but her name was Maya and Four days later, Maya uh, suffocated, and she had a, I guess, like a asthma or something, and she just... When they the police, I left uh, a day after her death. I was like, "This is just getting too crazy. I got to get out of here." I only lasted five days there. I didn't make it through the whole ten days. It's just way too intense. I could just I could feel too much of everything else that was going on, and I I couldn't really just get into my own stuff, which was what I was there for. I wasn't there to feel everybody else. I was there to feel myself. And so I was leaving, and the detectives were the ones that gave me a ride. To the bus station and while i was in the car with them they dumped out photos of her and her face was a speckled blue like the sign of suffocation and they asked me if i knew anything and i was like the last thing i need to tell these police is that i felt her death right like <laughs> they're just gonna ask me more questions so i was like no i don't know anything and um she yeah, apparently she suffocated and uh and she died there
2: yeah that's a bummer. So um, you didn't finish the thing. Don't feel too bad. There's always more opportunities. But sounds like a pretty ratchet fucking madhouse of a situation Uh, compared <laughs> to – I've never done ayahuasca, but I mean it seems if you've done that, have you ever ceremonied with people? Like aren't you I, taking I, on people's energies there?
1: No, I actually have not done ayahuasca. Why would so
2: I, I think that, Rafael?
1: I have not. I, I have experienced um, DMT, but I have not oh, done – Oh,
2: word. Even more crazy. I've done that. Yeah, but. and –
1: uh, I, I i've been called i have not been i've been offered ayahuasca but i've never been i've never been called to it you know I, like i never i've never felt like oh yes this is something i need to do um i did my problem purging in a different way and so stop it so i yeah. the
2: dog wants you to do a ceremony curly yeah. Yeah, and i just want to say
0: melissa that would just get you to enjoy it more but yeah i've <laughs> never done it so
2: we're both virgins on that front Raphael's done it and i'm i'm like i've smoked dmt i met egyptian deities and had a kundalini activation and i was just like what the fuck is life this is not even real that's real so yeah i don't know if i could handle 10 hours of shitting myself vibes <laughs> and or that's whatever what i happens. heard it's like yeah i have a friend that wrote please
1: i mean I have-
0: we just yeah continue melissa yes <laughs>
1: Oh, that's what I heard is uh, uh, the people that I have, I know that have done ayahuasca were like, spoke very highly of it, but they also said it was very messy. <laughs> right.
0: I mean, let me just say briefly, we had, you know, several shows, for example, with Namita and many others. And, you know, maybe not everyone would be very explicit talking about potentially messy sides of it. And, you know, I mean, life is messy, but I just want to say that it really very, as with everything, it very, very much is dependent on set and setting. And what you can do if you can do it, yeah, you can eat well uh, the weeks beforehand, ideally, you know, all the time. And what I like to do is you can just fast even for up to a whole day and then just go in what almost water fasted, for example. And that makes a a whole lot
2: that comes out.
0: (laughs) Well, number one. And also there is not much things that can constrict, let's say, the energy of ayahuasca. Uh, At least that's been my experience. Um, So there's all kinds of tricks you can do. And so, yeah. Um, and also, I guess it's, of course, that's what it appears to me as well. It's of course, correlating also with the amount of processing you are scheduled for during that session. And if it's not, let's say heavy or especially not heavy negative processing, then it's also, I would say more unlikely that you would have, let's say, very bad physical effects in terms of feeling unwell right so that's just why i said that when you get called to it especially if you've done your processing um then she
2: left all that shit in the desert sounds like so she might be clear
0: exactly and then you can probably enjoy it more because the thing is again i mean if you experience dmt you just get to stay there longer and i'm just really looking forward to i don't know what kind of methodologies you know along with holotropic breathing and all of that where then we can start to you know more consciously kind of participate in in space yeah yeah Yeah, and start interacting and start having like conscious telepathy and so on so um, i think that's where the fun is really starting after the processing maybe you'd even like to talk about that melissa because this is oftentimes the question like you know does this go on eternally the strife and the struggle and the processing and the mirroring and all the negative stuff and my contention of course is no there's a hard limit to this once you've crossed certain thresholds and uh, just from what you've seen and the pro- trajectory that you can project, what would you see uh, is coming up for you or even for us collectively, if I may ask?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, hmm. Yes, I, I don't know. I don't know that it ever stops. I mean, I think there's levels uh, that you can pass through and it's, you, you receive um, magic. You know you get to level up and you get to operate from a different place a different place of understanding and a different place of uh magic i don't know how else how to describe it i'm reading
2: harry potter with my fiance it feels like there's you know grades or whatever it's like a never-ending story it's like there's different challenges and they look very different and you move on and they're very different the next level or whatever
1: I think that they do and I don't I don't know that there's an end and I would say to be careful first you know to saying oh yeah it's all done now Now i'm at this plane and then, then the
2: big shadow comes there's right.
1: nothing else to learn I agree you know with i you. think that that's fit. that's that's a uh, a little bit premature, I think, uh, but I, I don't know, I, I can only really speak from my experience. But I also worked with healers who were very, very good, and had reached very high levels of understanding and did some really interesting magic. I wrote about a little bit of some of the things I witnessed in, in the book, because I was just like, what? And, and I was like, can you teach me that, you know, like, I want to know that, like, how did you just do that? Um, like just kind of like knowing what was going to happen before it happened and, and things like this. And, um, but I also saw that's what
0: you already did, no, as you explained just now. Well, yeah, yes, (laughs) no, Uh, yeah, In
1: a sense, it was, I didn't know, not in the way that teachers know. I just, I just picked up on a signal and listened to it. You know, it wasn't like I could see what was going to happen. I had no idea that like those girls were going to get shot. I had no idea that the police were coming. I just knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. (laughs) You know, like that's. That's it. Um, but I can also say that even though I, I, I have a really great teacher, I also just did a little shadow dance. I realized that he still has some work to do. Like there is a very old master shadow inside of him about not being supported. And it came up recently. And I'm like, oh, wow. Even this guy who is like the the most advanced healer I've ever met like hands down has done more magic than anybody I've ever seen is it appears that he still has work to do. Like he's still, there's still another level for him and I could be completely wrong, but he taught me how to see patterns and he taught me how to walk, you know, notice these, these certain things. And I was like, wow, I, I kind of noticed something in you. That's you know? <laughs> like, so, like student becomes a teacher or anything. Cause I was like, I don't know if I should say anything, you know, because this guy is like showing me tricks that I, I still don't know how to perform. And it, but I, I swear I can see this, you know? And so I eventually did talk to him about it. And I said, Hey, you know, I, I, I just want to, point this out. I'm noticing this. And maybe there's something for you to see there. And he's like, hmm, hmm so, so I'll have a look, you know? So I, I don't know that it, it ever really stops. I think that like, you're right with like the Harry Potter thing. You just, you just achieve new levels. You unlock new superpowers, right? You just, if you stay with your practice and you stay on this path and you stay choosing, like, I want to unravel and demystify everything in my subconscious i want to see because you know they say you operate from using what 10 percent of your brain and the rest of the 90 in your subconscious and if you can tap into that and really start to sort through that then you increase in your awareness and then you start to experience magic and you start to be able to understand things from different dimensions and that but you have to get that kind of garbage out of the way first right to make room for that and so i i think as, as long as you stay with your practice and if you're if you're very dedicated to it then you can level up very quickly um, and I also think that your it depends on your level of resistance and also your belief in your practice I think that if you're a bit skeptical and you you when at your first time you meet resistance you know your resistance being like your ego voice going this is crazy like this is you know you should turn away from this this is bad for you or whatever it is that your voice that ego voice will say to, to not be discovered to you um, and create that resistance, if you and for me, I had a lot of resistance. I
2: had a lot of fight in me. Like it was ridiculous. Big yeah, you moon. Oh like, my you're God. Just, like you're skeptical, but you're mystical. So you don't like you don't know how to believe. In yeah. This, well, I mean, you're like you pop your own balloon, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was pretty much it. It's you nailed it. Yeah, and I it took a long time for me to um, kind of develop that trust. I had to really experience something from it to start believing it. You know what I mean? I was very skeptical. I was like, and my ego was very loud and it was like, these people can't be trusted and you need to get away from them. They're brainwashing you and just all this noise, you know, and that made my resistance stronger. And I had to really work with that. And in the beginning, it took, you know, three or four months to go through a pattern to to recognize something. Whereas now, after, you know, several years of practice, it's very it can be very quick. It can happen in a matter of minutes. And I'm like, oh, that's much better.
0: <laughs> right. Maybe that's what I was getting at more, actually, in terms of that there is an end, in a sense. You know, there's always degrees and levels and infinite layerings. And even, you know, Ryan Love one says in a sense, we can only look up to seventh density, then the whole thing kind of turns up into itself in the new octave and so on. But just experientially, especially, let's say, practically for humans right now and the available human experience, as you just pointed out yourself, also the example with the desert, there is great transformation and then it may still go up and down and so on, but how you process it is is quite different. And uh, it seems to me even... I don't know about you, but also in a sense, the more one gets a grip on that, it's also that one then rarely starts manifesting something in a sense blatantly negative or something. I mean, that's even a matter of interpretation by itself, of course, but at least it seems to me that there is a a kind of stability and so on that comes with the emotional and spiritual groundedness as well, which certainly is a great qualitative difference from, let's say, 10 years ago, probably for any of us and probably also all of those listening
1: yeah I agree with you and and I think that um there yes there is a there you do you know when for, for me when I when I reach a point in the dance with my shadow whichever theme I'm working on which when I met my 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 main teacher he was like oh you have authority and control and sexuality and food and unworthiness like I were like they name like seven things and I'm like fuck like, it seems like I've got some work to do. And he's like, yeah, it seems like they're in this order. You should probably start with the authority and control one. And, you know, I was just put in these situations where I could really look at this thing as it would come up in situations. And and it took some time to dance with and, you know, and really learn to trust that. But once I started to um, have really positive experiences from sorting through these things. Then I went full on in it, and I was like, "All right, universe, give me everything you got," and it did. And that was very uncool. And I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> I was, I had to retract and say, "Can I just?" can I just have uh, what I need with the time to digest it and what's good and in a way that's good for everyone. That's
2: a lesson, right? All you can eat buffet at once. is not a good idea.
1: It was bad. It was really bad. And uh, you know, that was actually a really interesting point. This, this random guy came up to me on the street in Los Angeles when I was visiting and he said, I'm being told to tell you something. These weird things happen to me all the time. Some random guy. He's like, I'm being told to tell you something. He's like, aren't you, haven't you had enough? Aren't you ready to say Uncle. And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "He go. He goes. Maybe you should ask for your process in a way that's that's digestible and good for everyone involved." And I, right to my what soul, the fuck? right heavy. to my soul, I, mean, I was this?
2: like,
1: "Holy wow. shit!" This, I mean, these things happen. And then he so asked you
2: for like five bucks because he's like a bum no, or whatever. No, he <laughs> didn't.
1: He, he just he just nodded and walked away. And I was like, angels
2: among us, man. That's how right?
1: I, I, yeah, I got a tribe. I got they're busy with me, man. I'll tell you what. Um, it seems like they
2: complaining they're like bro like you're you're not a black belt why are you fucking with that like come down a few belts. like we're all suffering for your choice here come on uh that's dude that's crazy that that kind of stuff happens i'm I'm curious about one or two things but i do want you to talk about your book um what was your dmt trip experience like and why was india so special
1: um well the dmt i was actually a little bit afraid of it
2: so well rightly so
1: right i i had already like i told you um when i was much younger. I had already had the psychedelic experience and I had already broken that, you know, kind of cage wide open. And I was nervous about d and because I didn't really feel called to it. It was available, but I didn't really feel, I didn't have that calling like, yes, do it. It was kind of like a mm, maybe. And so I didn't really um, take the amount that I was supposed to. And I was told by the shaman to know you need to take more. And I just, I, and so what my experience was, was I, was had, this a
2: real shaman or was this like Carl from the fucking concert? No, no, it was
1: a, it was a DMT shaman. Um, somebody who like specializes in the, in these rituals and, uh, I was told it, it advised to take more, but I didn't. Um, and so what, what I, what happened to me was I had this like out of body experience and I went like into, I don't know, I was going towards these, these beings, were calling me and they were saying come, come and I could see them. They were like silhouettes, right? And there was three of them and they were like come, come and I was zooming up to them and I got right to them and I couldn't see anything but their silhouette and it was just like this bright light behind them, the silhouette of three, these three beings and they were like reaching for me and I was like reaching for them and then I got super scared and I was like no <laughs> and I was like zoom right back into my body and I was like push. Like-
2: Dare I say that extra toke would have made it a much more like you would have been launched past them or whatever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's what I was told when I came, when I opened my eyes and I spoke of my experience. They were like, No, you need to have a little bit more. And I was like, No, 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 that's good. (laughs) That's good. Like, I don't, I I, know, we're good. Is that something
2: you think you ever want to try again? Or is that just too weird?
1: No, it's not that it was too weird. I just felt like, um,
2: Maybe, out of I'm, control.
1: maybe I'm supposed to get that information in in another way. I felt like that wasn't necessarily the my path. Like I didn't feel really connected to it. I felt more afraid of it, and so I just I thought you know maybe this information is going to come to me in another way.
2: Cacao deserts, you know <laughs> stuff and like it did.
1: that. Yeah, it totally did. Actually, the DMT was right uh, a couple months before I started this whole trip.
2: It makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm sure you've. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they would have said, but hey, spilled milk, what are you going to do? So um, what was India? Why was that a high watermark for you?
1: India was spectacular. Um, You know, I started this journey uh, with a book called The Abounding River abundance book. And it was the only book I brought in my backpack. And it was about cultivating abundance because I just was really feeling a lot of lack in my life. I was feeling loss and I was feeling just lack, just a lot of lack. And I was like, I need my personal power. I need my abundance. Like, and I need it now. And so I had this book and I started my journey with that, you know, doing the exercises and reading it every day. And it just, you know, and when I got to India, which is about three years into the trip, mm,
2: two and a half years into the trip. That um, sounds I'm, like a very bizarre drug reference. I just It's <laughs> like three years into the trip. It's like, no, she really fucking sojourned. All right, keep going though. I <laughs> just want to point out that wording sounds so bizarre to me. It's like, oh, I've been six hours tripping, bro. It's like three years.
1: Yeah, so it was a seven-year trip, like really proper without the drugs, um, but still a trip. And yeah, so I went to India and I went with a friend that um, I had met in England and we had the most incredible abundance Journey through India. Six months we were there and we went to Hampi, we went to Dramsala, Rishikesh. We saw Sri Muji do uh, a satsang. I went for a couple of days of his satsang um, in Rishikesh and um, it was just very Abundant. I mean, everything worked so flawlessly the entire time. It was just incredible. I could not believe it, <laughs> like how abundant that journey was through India. I mean, from it just everything we needed was right there, right when we needed it. It just came right to us. We didn't have to do anything. We were so much in flow and it was just a really magical, magical experience. Um, India is hands down my favorite country. It's really the land of contrast you can kind of get a little bit of everything there it's really kind of like another world i don't know if you've been um out it,
2: plan i think you have the house though
1: out of the 23 countries that i've been to i've been to 23 countries and 46 territories in those 23 countries in the last 7 years and india was hands down my favorite just because there was just so much contrast there and the people were so friendly. i can't even tell you how many houses i went into and was served tea and cookies and they they would put me on a like a stage and invite their entire family to sit there and look at me and they would ask me questions it was like i was like a celebrity it was really weird i'm like you guys are so nice like can i have some more cookies
2: (laughs) we'll take a two-way street they're an alien world that you're inhabiting and then you're like the martian who's landed from the west or whatever
1: yeah and they they were just very generous very hospitable very friendly very giving i mean and india is a very it's an overpopulated country you know there, there's a lot of people with not very much and they were just it was just they were so generous you know, considering that they had so little, and they they literally lived from lots, millions of them lived from you know the, <laughs> from the hand to the mouth like daily, and they weren't afraid to share what little that they had, and it was just very it was warm, it was very welcoming, and I I don't know I, I India ha- has a very special place in my heart. It's just, it's just this abundance overload, uh, uh, and and you know you go to one of the poorest countries, overpopulated, poor, just and you just experience an overload of abundance. It just is kind of contrasting in itself. It's like, you don't really expect that. I earned money when I was there. I got a just weird. I'm like,
2: you, so I then you go ex- to Florida this winter to the gated community or whatever. Like these guys are assholes, but they have everything. It's like, What's the yeah. Going
1: on? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And that's actually, I was, I joined a, um, I joined a website called Workaway. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a oh, volunteer. Uh, yeah, so I did a lot of uh, volunteer work, a lot of it, and that's really how I kind of introduced myself to a new places. I would usually, many of the most of the places I would take a volunteer opportunity. I'd find something really cool in the area I want to go to, or something. I was called to an area, and I'm like, okay, let's look for something there. And one thing that I noticed was that I there were two families that I worked for that had a lot that were really well off and they just took and took and took, they took my time. They took my energy. They took, you know, like just took and took and didn't really give anything in return. They really kind of abused the platform. They didn't provide this sharing kind of, you know, feeling um, this kind of exchange. It was just more like, how can I get, so how can I bring someone this is here? legal
2: slave labor sure.
1: yeah, like how can I bring someone here to benefit me, not to benefit us, not to have this exchange, but how can I you know make more from this platform for myself kind of thing, and then it was only two, two of the opportunities, and then all of the rest were people who had very little, and they gave so much. More and I thought that was really interesting. I'm like, why is that? You know, like, and that's that's a global. Like, it happened in Turkey, you know, uh, Germany. Those were the two that uh, were really. I was just like, wow. Like the people wouldn't even let their volunteers use their bicycles. They had seven of them. It was a family of three. They had seven bicycles and they wouldn't even let their volunteers use a bicycle. You know, they're just like, wow, you want them to work in your kitchen for eight hours a day, five days a week, which is double what the agreement is. And you won't even let them have a bicycle to go check out the forest. Like what? this is not an exchange, you know, like this is like slave labor. Like what are you doing? And I noticed that, that that's very common. The people that, and I guess that's how, you know, the rich get richer is they hold it. They hoard. It and they, you know, and and the people that don't have a lot are really giving and they share a lot. And uh, India was very the like
2: quality that. of life, it seems. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if every rich person's like this, I can't imagine. And every poor person probably isn't just like awesome, awesome. But it's like, you know, you give, if you give, you get. And I think there's this weird model, and it's coming to collapse just based on the astrology. I mean, this is what the whole, you know, the new aeon is going into, uh, where it's like these kind of pyramid scheme structures with you know a guru on top and everybody has to like wash their feet kind of thing not uh, it, i mean that's the whole irony of the jesus story it's like i'll wash you alls feet like it was like i'll do an even exchange of energy here as opposed to like you know people who expect it and it seems that um their experience isn't as rich i mean they might have a lot but they're not enjoying it particularly and they're like want more
1: yeah. And that, I noticed that too. I think that, I think that's, you know, I mean, it's a very generalized statement, but I think that it applies to, you know, a lot of people.
2: I'm looking at you Warren Buffett, I'm Bill Gates. Not I'm kidding. Uh, it's interesting though, because I mean, at some level we do need like, you know, ty- it, or we have needed, I don't know if it's potential, you know, forever, but like uh, industry tycoons, like, you know, I don't know if you've ever, ever read the book, or seen the play or movie, but, um, you know, the whole point and spoilers, but it's like Jean Valjean, uh, reforms. He's a prisoner. And now he's a, um, you know, a dude and he works his way up. Now he's a factory owner and he's providing, you know, like there's good to that. I actually went to Belize and, you know, the guy who kind of runs the country, um, I went to a Mayan ruin, which is kind of crazy, but we took this cruise from Miami and went down there as a family right after nine 11, I think. So it was like super cheap or something. I was like, Oh my God, no one wants to do this. So we did it. We went to Disney world in there, uh, for that Thanksgiving. But, um, uh, the guy who, like, runs the country is the toilet paper, like, manufacturer. So he's, like, the tycoon, right? So it's, like, in a way, we've needed that, but it seems like the people have had the wrong mindset or it's been cronyism and just crazy kind of, you know, Martha Stewart insider trading and all sorts of crazy weird shit that's obviously coming to the foreground and now people get a, a, just a choice to decide if that's what they want to participate economically with or not. I much prefer kind of, I mean, even though it doesn't, like, line your pockets particularly, it sounds like you've had more rich experiences than just, like, make it shit tons not that it I mean it's apples and oranges but like buying a house through bartending that's dope but it's like you might have not felt as complete as a soul compared to like when you were like oh shit I'm like working in your kitchen in India and you guys are giving me cookies or whatever it's much simpler but it's like more you know vibrant of an experience simultaneously the paradox oh my god
1: yeah. And it, you know, it was like that. It's interesting in my early twenties, I made a lot of money. And then when I stopped bartending, I started pre- teaching preschool and I worked as an admin. I went from 140,000 a year to 40,000 a year, which was a quite a change. And it took a little bit of getting used to, but I was more fulfilled with the work. I felt better about the work. And then when I started backpacking, I, I left with nothing and I can still, I, all of my belongings fit in two suitcases. You know, I use rolling suitcases now because of the I'm tired. But, (laughs) Carrying the backpack. Um, But I like the minimalism. I like having more time for people. I like having more time for interaction. And that's why this whole COVID thing is really um, bumming me out because I I just miss hugging people and I miss the community and I miss just kind of working together with people. I really am... um, I really enjoy that more. I don't, and I'm not someone who's ever really liked acquiring things. I noticed that I bought that house as out of spite. It was more of like a fuck you towards. I can.
2: Holy shit.
1: Yeah. To people who said that I couldn't, it was really like, Oh, you, you think that I can't, let me show you what I can do kind of thing. And then after I had that experience, I realized that it was, it was coming from a place of spite, not from a place of like wanting to fulfill something in me. It was more like a kiss my ass kind of thing, you know? And, um, I let it go. I let it go. I let go of the house. I let go of everything, and I started to, as to shift from needing to prove something to someone else, you know, just to prove them wrong, to finding out. Like I, I, I realized that I'm meant to be more of a current, you know, like a and in, in flow, like a river, and I'm meant to to move around and and not to stop in one place and build some, you know, house with and fill it with a bunch of stuff. That's just not my way. That was something I did you know, just as a as kind of like a middle finger, you know, like watch this, you know, I can do this. Um and yeah, I just don't have that desire anymore. I have more of a I have more of a desire of a, of a support I feel more like like I want to be in a support role. Like I want to be with people. I want to be with them. You know Your
2: North I, is in Libra relationships. Your mode yeah. is like where you've been is Aries. So it's like you used to be the rugged individual. Not that you can't do it, obviously you do, but it's like this isn't about like being smog and hoarding the gold at this point. Like, that's just not what it is for you. It's more about like, Hey, did we like connect emotionally? And do I, you know, do I know your story and all this kind of shit?
1: Yeah. It feels much more like that for me now. And that's really kind of my motivation. And that's why I really liked meeting Rafa um, because, you know, like when everything was happening with Paul and and I I just love that I could call him and I just knew he was the right person to call. You know, it's, I just love that I am being brought. These people are crossing my path, crossing my path that, are just are really in resonance with me. And they're bringing these beautiful gifts and they're bringing support. You know, like I had no idea when I met him at this club in San Francisco that later, years later, he was going to help me save my best friend's life. You know, like that just had no idea.
2: We never know exactly where the trip takes us. So um, I you'd be interested. Um, I mean, I don't know how an astrology you are, but you can go to astro.com, type in your info, or whatever, get your chart. But there's something called, uh, I think it's astro cartography. You could see aspects where you know what would happen like i have a saturn a- element going through cairo so it's like if i go to egypt it's going to be a fucking serious lesson um you know stuff like that uh you might find that very fun uh kind of seeing where to plot where you've been where you haven't why p- maybe places have particular resonances etc um i know we've only got a little time left but tell us a little about like uh, i mean at the end of this you hit a pocket you're like seven years covid hit uh kind of you know clipped your wings a little for now You're making a book. What's the process like and what's it called? All that jazz. Like talking about the book for a second.
1: Yeah, the book is called Shadow Dancer and it's uh, a nonfiction memoir and it's about the trowels and it's really kind of like the book's geared for people who are curious about solo travel and how to kind of cultivate and nurture their divine guidance system. Um, People who are interested in rituals and like learning a little bit about, you know, shamans in the world and like alternative medicines. And then also people who are curious about what uh, that's, process of shadow dancing is like because I go I get very very honest about this whole process when I was in the Sahara I kept a very detailed diary which is a it's a pretty big part of the book is about these Sahara diaries I guess it's probably I don't know a quarter of the book is about that Um, and so yeah it just I would like to so I stopped traveling not really because of COVID I, I just kind of felt this urge to stop. Something said stop. And it was my last trip in the Sahara in the beginning of 2019. It was my last trip. And while I was there, uh, I was working on as part of the team for the first two weeks. So I wasn't walking. I was in the truck. Uh, we would drop the participants off. The truck would drive away. We would get to the meeting point, And then we would have some hours before the people would start arriving from their walk, you know, somewhere between four and six hours. And I just started writing just like, and I had these headphones on and I was listening to music and it was like coming through me. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to the Sahara and write a book. It just kind of appeared. And... I don't know what the book is supposed to do. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm still working on the end right now, but I'm praying a lot because I'm like, okay, goddess, like, what is it that you want me to share? Like, how is this supposed to be helpful? Because it was a really interesting journey. It took me through a lot of different modalities and medicines and and places and, you know, just changed, shifted my whole perspective about, you know, the condition of our planet and our people and, you know, where people are in their process and like, what you know, what needs to happen so that we can, you know, experience the Garden of Eden here on Earth because we definitely are destroying it. And so, yeah, so I've just been working on getting the story out and uh, defining it. It's getting more and more narrow, of, like the purpose of the book, because it's very easy to write what happened. But for me, I think the challenge now is to what do I want to do with it. What do I want it to do for people? You know, like what is, how do I want it to inspire? How do I want it to move people? What is it that I want people to take away from it? And that's what I've been working on since this COVID time, these last, you know, a few weeks is just really kind of defining that. And that's been interesting. And it's actually quite easy. I'm like, oh, I totally know what this is for, but it took, you know, some days, weeks actually of meditation and really kind of talking to the angels and being like, okay, can you show me um, you know, where this is supposed to go. And I can't see past December 21st, it, which is really weird. Um, it's like a total blank. Like I don't see anything. I t- I, I just well, that's been, not
2: prophetic. Fuck. <laughs> I've
1: just been, I've just been, um, I've been told to pursue bringing this project to a close, pursue it with everything I have. I'm supposed to release it on the, for, for pre order. I'm supposed to put it out, presented to the world for pre-order on December 21st. Well, I thought that I was supposed to publish. I just heard this date, December 21st, that's your target. And I'm like, okay. So I started working on it and then I realized it wasn't going to be ready, completely ready by December 21st. But then it came clear that, oh, it's going to be ready for pre-order. I'm going to have enough stuff done for that. So that's what I'm I'm working on is getting that out. Um, but it's very, very strange because I cannot see past this, this date, the 21st. It's like a total blank and i'm like what's coming and it's like crickets like i don't hear anything i don't see anything i'm like is it the end of the world like what (laughs) you know like what is it and it's not we will
2: find out together i believe yeah it's Uh. like
1: we're gonna figure that thing out but you know what's interesting is uh as december 21st when this trip started in 2012 there was all this oh the end of the world the mayan calendar everything's going to change and that's happening again i don't know if you've noticed that there's people writing but it's more from the christian side now about the 21st of 2020, and they're like, oh, it's the end of the world as we know it. And again, and I'm like, oh my God, this again. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see what's going to happen. And I have been called back to the states. Uh, I've been I've been called now for weeks, and I've been avoiding it. I've been avoiding going because I wanted to stay in Belgium with my partner a little bit longer. And but I keep hearing it. It's like you need to go home. You need to go home. You need to go go see your mom. You got go to go to the states. You need to be there. And I so I finally just booked my flight and I leave in nine days. And I'm going yeah back to the states, and we'll just see how it unfolds.
2: That's what's up. I think, uh, yeah, being with family during the holidays, especially, you know, given the world climate stuff, they'll appreciate seeing you, I'm sure. Um, And you can kind of uh, maybe get encouragement from her in how to unfold. It is rather eerie given that you get like, don't go here and the gunshots fire, that you're not getting past 21 of december because i'm not like being ominous but i'm just like fuck that's bizarre um, so it is we'll bizarre and goes. it worries
1: me it worries me that's a little bit saying.
2: Kind of <laughs> me <out> a little.
1: <laughs> it worries me because i mean there's been times before where i couldn't see i but i would always have a sense of direction and this time it's just it's literally there's nothing this is nothing and i'm like mm, okay.
2: the simulation ends yeah <laughs>
1: I, yeah, maybe it's another level you know that we're uh, maybe there's going to be maybe there is going to be some some something new that we're going to be shown and it's just not time yet to see it or to understand it or to even take part of it maybe it's that that's the timing i i, I don't know i stopped thinking about it because i asked so many times show me show me show me and uh, i was like can you please? can i get a glimpse can i
2: get nothing word. The,
1: yeah so i'm like okay so, so i just have to surrender into the not knowing which is i'm pretty good at so shouldn't be a problem
2: yeah it sounds like you've been through the dojo of uh surrender through process over a long period you should be fine uh, i do really appreciate you coming on um we got to get you on here again and talk about maybe uh the sahara diary chunks and maybe read some excerpts talk about it whatever's clever but Raphael, good on you for bringing her in she's a cool chica uh definitely team rabbit hole so good on you for bringing her i think she's cool Um, I mean, not that that matters. I'm like, oh, this is really pleasant. It could go horribly wrong, Uh, but it did not. So, Melissa, I really appreciate you giving us time. Hopefully, people check out your website and start your pre-ordering, all that jazz. We'll post links, but if there's any kind of last sentiment slash plugs you want to throw in, now would be that time.
1: Uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on here. Raphael, specifically to you, um, you have – blessed my path a couple times already. And I'm just really grateful that, that we have met and, um, you just always show up at just the right time. It's very, very interesting. Um, and you, yeah, you inspire me and I like the work that you guys are doing and I'm very, very grateful to be a part of it. And I've, I had some, uh, some time with your other podcasts and they're really interesting and I just love what you're doing and keep, keep up the good work and yeah. I'm excited to be a part of this, however it unfolds.
2: That's what's up. Well, guys, find the fucking others. They're out there. Uh, Find your tribe. She's finding many tribes all over. Ultimately, we're all one fucking thing. So just enjoy the Ouroboral Mobius trip trip. And yeah, hopefully, knock on wood, December 21st isn't as bad as she doesn't seem to sense or not sense it could be. So thanks again, (laughs) Melissa, for coming on. Thank you. Uh,
0: Thank you, Melissa. The sentiment is mutual. Uh, further up and further in. Thank you so much for joining and, uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Enjoy yourselves. Mm. Radio, okey-tok, okey-tok. Radio, okey-tok, okey-tok.